You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. Patch Tuesday sees Windows and Adobe fixes, Venezuela's civil conflict gets a hacktivist dimension, anti-Israeli wiper malware is circulating in the wild, Kaspersky Lab expects to see more pseudo-ransomware, especially when disruption is the goal. The Connie Rat of unknown origin sniffs at sites associated with North Korea. The HBO hack remains under investigation, Putin turns his attentions to Georgia, and familiar password advice gets jettisoned. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, August 9th, 2017. Yesterday was Patch Tuesday, and both Microsoft and Adobe issued a large number of critical patches to their products. The Adobe fixes addressed problems with Acrobat, Reader, and Flash Player. Most observers recommend that users of Acrobat and Reader devote their attention to updating the software for those two products. They continue to recommend that you disable and move away from Flash Player, scheduled for final retirement by Adobe in 2020. It's a perennial target of attackers, and as useful as Flash was back in the day, it's reached the end of its useful life. Microsoft's patches, 48 of them in total, affect Windows, Internet Explorer, Edge, the subsystem for Linux, Kernel, SharePoint, SQL Server, and Hyper-V, the vulnerabilities being fixed don't appear to be undergoing exploitation in the wild, but some of the patches are sufficiently important that they should be applied as soon as possible. Experts concur that CVE 2017-8620, a Windows Search remote code execution vulnerability, is the big one. They think applying it should be a priority. Venezuela's ongoing political and economic crisis has prompted not only fighting, but some credible allegations of government vote fraud in the elections that put in place an extra-parliamentary group charged with rectifying the Constitution. It's also prompted some rebel hacking. According to reports, a hacktivist group associated with the rebels has conducted cyber attacks against sites in that country. Most, but not all, of the affected services belong to the Venezuelan state. The group claiming responsibility calls itself the Binary Guardians. Researchers at security firm Intezer describe an anti-Israeli, pro-Palestinian wiper malware, Izrabai, that's currently circulating in the wild. 
It's not crypto ransomware, since it offers no prospect of file recovery until such time as Israel's disappearance, in their words. Effectively, of course, no prospect of recovery at all. It also doesn't encrypt files. Rather, it replaces their content with anti-Israel messages. The wiper began circulating around the time Israeli authorities imposed certain restrictions on visits to the Temple Mount and the Al-Aqsa Mosque situated there. Metal detector installation was found particularly objectionable by Muslim worshippers. The restrictions were quickly eased, but the malware continues to circulate. It's not exactly ransomware, despite some gestures in that direction, nor is it pseudo-ransomware like NotPetya, but Israbi does bear a family resemblance to that style of attack. Kaspersky Lab's quarterly report concludes that we should get used to pseudo-ransomware. It's a proven attack method now, given the success of NotPetya, and it's going to continue to be attractive to both governments and other threat actors of unclear motivation and dubious provenance. Where disruption is the goal, as opposed to theft, pseudo-ransomware has shown that it can answer the bell. TechCrunch calls the technique a wolf in wolf's clothing, and that seems to be a fair assessment. The remote access tool Connie has been linked to the Dark Hotel threat group by researchers at security firm Silence, which has observed Connie activity against North Korean targets since that country's latest rounds of missile tests. Neither Connie nor Dark Hotel have been attributed yet. Such attribution is, of course, famously difficult. One attack, Onion Dog, thought by many to have been a targeted attack against South Korean targets, turns out, according to Trend Micro, to have been a Republic of Korea cyber drill. When an organization suffers a cybersecurity breach, whose job is on the line? That's one of the questions the folks at Tripwire wanted to answer with their InfoSecurity Europe 2017 survey. Tim Erlin is VP of Product Management and Strategy at Tripwire. 40% pointed out that they, they believe the CEOs were the first on the, on the firing line if a company was compromised, followed by the chief information security officer, the CISO, at 21%. Uh, and then interestingly, other came in at 15%, and the CIO came in at, at 14%, just slightly below other in that case. And do you think this uh, represents sort of shifting attitudes towards these kinds of things? It certainly does. Uh, I've been in this industry for uh, close to 20 years at this point, and I would, I would certainly say if you go back in time, uh, there would be very few people uh, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, who would have said that the, the CEO is responsible or likely to, to have a, a material consequence to their, their job if uh, a breach were to have occurred. So it definitely represents a, a shift in, in attitude. And how are we seeing this play out in the real world? Are we seeing consequences for board-level folks? Well, we certainly have. Uh, we've uh, seen a, a consequence at Target specifically. We also saw Marissa Mayer, the CEO of Yahoo, who forfeited her, her cash bonus following a breach. Um, that breach also affected the acquisition of, of Yahoo as well. So um, it's not just CEO level uh, effects that breaches have. Um, it also goes beyond that to other material uh, impacts. Were there any surprises that came back from the results of the survey? Uh, you know, I think that that CEO piece was uh, that result was interesting. I'm not sure I would call it surprising, but interesting. There was another question in the survey around uh, tools and technology, uh, and we came out with 75% um, of security professionals don't believe that buying all the available security tools would fully protect their organizations. Um, that was an interesting result as well, um, indicating that you know solving the problems with uh, cybersecurity aren't just about implementing technology; it's really about the the people and process involved as well.
So what are the takeaways for you with this information gathered from the survey? What kinds of uh, what kinds of advice do you have for folks? With this survey in particular and the, the result around accountability and responsibility, uh, I think the key there as a takeaway, if you're, if you're in information security as a practitioner, the job that you have to do on a day-to-day basis uh, should have, needs to have, and often does have board-level visibility. Um, so if you're in information security and you believe that um, you're insulated from, from impacting the business or that your actions don't have that kind of an impact for your organization, uh, you, your attitude needs to, to catch up with, with reality today. That's Tim Erlin from Tripwire. You can find more results from their Info Security Europe 2017 survey on their website. Investigation into the HBO hack and extortion continues, with both Mandiant and the FBI involved. Many in the security industry see the media as a relatively attractive target for hackers, and the entertainment industry has seen enough in the HBO affair to be spooked. Russia has been playing effectively at hybrid war for some time, most intensely in Ukraine. There are, however, other targets in the near abroad, that is, in now independent former republics of the Soviet Union. Tuesday was the ninth anniversary of the Russian war that separated the Georgia provinces of Abkhazia and South Ossetia and effectively joined them to Russia. Russian President Putin marked the occasion by visiting Abkhazia. His visit also comes a week after U.S. Secretary of State Tillerson visited Georgia during a period that's seen renewed talk of Georgia adherence to NATO. This may signal a shift in hybrid war to the Caucasus. Let Georgia look to its networks. Finally, remember all that advice about making strong passwords and changing them frequently? It started back in 2003 with NIST Special Publication 800-63, specifically with Appendix A, which advised such password-building practices as irregular capitalization, including at least one numeral, and throwing in some special characters, perhaps in lieu of a letter. And it also advised changing passwords frequently. Well, it turns out it was all a big mistake and an unfortunate misunderstanding. The author of Appendix A, retired NIST expert Bill Burr, and we hasten to say that he is one of the good guys, now regrets his advice, most of which NIST jettisoned back in June. The advice drove people to lazy practices and tended to lead them to devise passwords that are hard for people to remember but easy for machines to crack. So the advice now, the current state of thinking, is to base your password on some idiosyncratic short phrases you'll find it easier to lodge in your human mind, but that would befuddle Skynet. Correct horse battery staple. That one's taken, but something like that. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. 
Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. And now a word from our sponsor, Six Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals. Confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Johannes Ulrich. He's the Dean of Research at the Sands Technology Institute, and he also hosts the ISC Stormcast podcast. You know, we talk about two-factor authentication and how, in general, it is a good idea. Uh, You have some thoughts on how to make sure you're picking the right one. Yes, there are many, many different options when it comes to two-factor authentication, and not all of these options are really equally strong. For example, NIST recently published some widely discussed guidance that SMS messages should not really be used for two-factor authentication. The problem here is that it's not all that difficult for a criminal to convince a phone company to redirect phone calls for a specific number to a new phone. So that can be used to gain access uh, to uh, these SMS tokens. The strongest token that you can probably have are these hardware tokens that you actually keep in your keychain. Problem here again is that this just doesn't scale. How many of these tokens are you going to carry around with you? And they're also somewhat expensive. So what you really have to do is uh, based on the risk uh, that uh, you think uh, this particular application is exposed uh, to, you have to pick the right two-factor authentication mechanism. SMS, that may be fine for a lower value account. You have soft tokens like you typically implement via Google's authenticator application. They're not bad, but again, they can be copied uh, without the user really realizing that they're being copied. In particular, if the user does store the secret for these tokens uh, in an insecure manner. And then, yes, you do have the hard tokens that are the most secure, but also most expensive and most cumbersome technology. So anywhere on this scale, you have to pick the right one. And also don't forget how you're going to deal with a lost second factor. That's often a weakness, just like password recovery is often a weakness for traditional password authentication. What about uh, biometric uh, factors like, uh, like Touch ID on iOS? 
Touch ID on iOS uh, is a great way for authentication, but its uh, application is a little bit limited in the sense that it only works with native applications. I haven't really seen a good uh, biometric authentication for web applications, for example, and they probably at this point pose the largest risk. Yes, there are ways to bypass some of this biometrics with like these uh, replicated fingerprints and the like, but overall, uh, they do provide a meaningful second factor, just there are no APIs to use for web-based applications. Overall, would you say that having any form of two-factor is better than nothing at all? Yes, uh, definitely. Uh, Two-factor is better than just a username and a password. Uh, Just uh, remind your users that it's still two-factor. So having a second factor doesn't mean that you necessarily should get sloppy on your passwords. All right, Johannes Ulrich, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.